0: If you uh, look in your bulletins, there's a insert in there that has to do with fall. Is fall a bad word right now? <laughs> Woo, yeah. Uh, for over the years, Fourth of July was the end of my summer, and you start thinking about fall almost immediately. And uh, as we look ahead to even in in a month or so, we start to form these um, community groups and DNA groups. So, and there's obviously some needs that are going to be coming up as well. So, I just begin to pray about read that and begin to pray about it. Um, but fall is here, and matter of fact, Deanna and I were in in target yesterday morning and and uh, we walked around and there all, all the kids supplies are out there i don't know if you know that parents they're already there available for you to start buying for your kids and uh, so yeah it's here but one of the things that we've we're looking forward to this fall is the beginning of some community groups and dna groups but the DNA groups are a smaller group formed out of those community groups with the goal for relationships, one-on-one, one-on-two, those type of things, almost a mentoring-type relationship. And the reality is, is that that's already been taking place this past year, and it's really been done through women's ministries. And I'm going to invite uh, Rachel up here, and're uh, to she's going to share a little bit and see if I can get this thing on here. Is it all the way down I need? up oh, off. Why don't I have some? There we go. Rachel's been in a mentoring relationship, and I just asked her to share a bit about what how it's impacted her life, and then just kind of a promotion a little bit for as we want these to grow and grow within the church. So go ahead.
1: All right. Um when Pastor Ken asked if I would um reflect on the mentorship program, um I just couldn't stop thinking of all the positive things that um I experienced uh participating in it and um uh something that I thought of was just the um um just the chance to really just absorb the passages. Um I was with Gwen Geiser, and uh at the beginning, I was like, oh, "Do I want to take on another thing? Do I want to participate in this?" And then uh, God really put it on my heart to um, participate. And so when Gwyn and I got together, she was like, "All right, we're just gonna, you know, take maybe six to ten um, chapters every time we meet." And um, I was like, "Okay, that, you know, that sounds a little more doable." Um, And by doing that, we really were able to um, pick apart the passages and to uh, see what God was um, talking about through these um, different people. And uh, something that was interesting that um, Gwen and I started to experience was that we started to highlight a lot of the same verses. Um, But our perspectives were a little different sometimes. And so um, that was a lot of fun just because then we could see... um, you know, different areas that maybe I wouldn't have saw by myself. Um, So I really um, enjoyed um, being able to just pick apart the Bible and to um, really kind of take it slow um, and, like I said, being able to absorb it. Um, Another thing that I really enjoyed about the mentorship program was um, just uh, finding another spiritual leader. Um, I don't know if any of you know, but both uh, my husband and my families are, like, six and a half to nine hours away. So <coughs> having another um, female leader has just been uh, a very positive thing. And uh, Gwen's been able to be there. We shared a lot of prayer requests and um, just kind of checking in every week. How are you doing? How's the situation been? And so um, just being able to see God work through her life and then for her to see how God was working through my life was uh a very positive thing. So um, for anybody who's asked me um, what I thought about it, I just can't stop saying all the uh, positive things that I got out of it. So I'd really encourage um, more people to take part in it this fall. Um, I don't know, even the younger girls and all the way up to our um, spiritual, godly leaders. Um, older up, so yeah, I would definitely say come out and participate.
0: Thanks, Rachel. It's an opportunity to um, allow other people into our lives that can help us grow. And those small groups of one-on-one and one-on-two, again, I would look back in my own life and say they've been probably the most influential over the years even for me. So, again, I would encourage you as we look to fall and and. these community groups and DNA groups that you would you would consider and, and prayerfully consider being a part of, of that adult ministry here this fall. Let's pray as we before we jump into the passage this morning. Father, again we just want to thank you for your love and uh, Lord, for your grace, mercy, compassion. And Lord, we recognize that we need you, and there's things in our lives. There's, there's times of discouragement and. And his life sometimes is busy, but Lord, we need to slow down and remember you. And Lord, as a result of even the passage today, I just pray that we might just pause and ponder who you are even today. So we give this text to you, and may you honor it. These things we pray in your name. Amen. In March of 2011, there was a group of people that gathered together to start a road trip. And this was one of their vehicles, and I don't know if you remember back a, a year or two ago, and, and this group gathered to announce that the end of the world was going to be here. And they actually went on a road journey, and, and I, I, I want to read from you from a CNN article about a little bit about, give you a flavor of what this group really was about. And it said this, they walked away from work, families, and communities in places as far flung as California, Kansas, Utah, New Jersey. Among them are an electrician, a TV satellite dish installer, a former chef, an international IT consultant, and a man who worked with the developmentally disabled. They gave away cars, pets, music collections, and more to relatives, friends, and neighbors. Some items they even kicked to the curb. In some homes that weren't emptied, clothes were still hanging in closets and dishes and books and furniture, including one man's antique collection. Uh, And and a CNN reporter actually drove with them from Jacksonville, Florida, to Tampa, Florida. And and this was a part of his report, or he continued on, and let me read just a little bit more. There are ten people milling about in RV parking, drawing stairs, eye rolls under the The breath mutters and at times words of support. They're wearing sweatshirts and other clothing, announcing the awesome news that Judgment Day is coming on May 21st, 2011. On that day, people who will be saved will be raptured up to heaven, and the rest will endure 153 days of death and and horror before the world ends on October 21st. That message is splashed along their five sleek, vinyl-wrapped RVs bearing this promise. The Bible guarantees it. Um, one of them was asked directly, um, if, if May 22nd comes along, and it, what happens if, it, if you're still here? And his, was, his response was this. If I'm here on May 22nd, it simply means that I wasn't one of the elect. Um, anybody go on that trip? Tom, did you go? (laughs) All through history, people of faith want to figure out, they look to the future and they figure out what is going to happen. What's going to take place? When is the return of Christ going to, when's that going to take place? See, people want to know the future and know about the future. And this church that we've been looking at, Thessalonica, Also, I believe, wanted to know about the future a bit. Last week at the end of chapter 4, we talked about, it. looked at Christ's return again there. And one of Paul's purposes was to encourage this church. See, they had some doubts about what was going to happen to the people that had died. Were they going to be a part of the resurrection? Were they going to get taken out where they're going to be there when Jesus uh, would return again. But Paul used that, looking to Jesus coming back for words of encouragement. And You see there on the screen, verses 18, 4-18. He says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So the goal there was Paul was trying to encourage them that yes, Jesus is coming back. Don't worry about death. Those that have died, they won't miss out on anything. So let's jump into the text this morning, and I want to read that to begin with. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 11. I'm reading in the uh, ESV English, uh, English version. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as the labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness, so let let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, Now, I need to pause and remind you of a couple things here. There is disagreement as to how people put together the last, the end times as we know it today. There are good people who love the Lord who would disagree with my position. I'm a premillennial millennial pre-trib position, but there are people who would not agree with me. But I I need to just remind you of that, because I I think we get stuck as to what is the right position, but that's not what Paul is dealing with here today. But for your benefit, you'll, you'll notice in the back, if you take out those sermon notes... I have a website for you. This is a dictionary kind of a theology dictionary website. Um, it's called Theopedia, and it doesn't necessarily espouse every view, but it'll give you some definitions. And matter of fact, and again on the back there, you'll see that there's really three dominant positions about the end times: uh, premillennialism, amillennialism, and postmillennial. Uh, those positions, I just gave a brief description from that site. And you can read more and study more, uh, obviously, in that area. Uh, can't take the time to go down that path. It takes six months to do that, and uh, so to do it well. But I think this is fair, this statement. There is some agreement on all the three positions. And the agreement is this, is that God will be intervening in this world. That is going to happen. And all of them would agree to that. There is a point in history where people will be held accountable as to how they respond to Jesus. Are people choosing to embrace Christ as their Lord and Savior? Or will they reject Him and all that He stands for? That day is coming. And I think we all can agree on that. But I need to go down another alley as well And an observation that I've had over the years. And it surrounds how people emphasize the end times. And the observation is this. Just like this group of people that set out to declare that the world was coming to an end, many people tend to focus on judgment when speaking of the end times, as this man did that was leading that caravan. And is there judgment? Absolutely, 100%. There's a judgment coming. But in only emphasizing the judgment, there's a negative byproduct, I think, that happens, that takes place here. And here's the consequence. People begin to understand and equate salvation as a type of insurance policy. Fire insurance. Keeping one out of hell. And it's almost like, if you remember the Monopoly game, that get out of jail card. That salvation really is just getting out of jail, getting out of hell card. And there's a danger in that. It fits. Last week I shared an illustration. Eighth grade girl that was in one of my first classes as a youth pastor. I went around the room and I said, how do you know you're saved? And this is what she said. My mom made me say this prayer. So you ask, what was mom missing? And I think the reality is this mom looked at salvation first as a, form, a formula of prayer, but what was missing was Jesus, the person of Jesus, a relationship with Jesus. And so the context exists in our world, in our churches. Is that there's people that who think that they're saved. And I think sometimes, no, I don't, no, I don't think so. No, God knows, and He's the judge of that. But folks, salvation is far more than getting a contract with insurance policy says, now you get out of hell. It's a relationship centered. Salvation is centered on Jesus, the man who walked on this earth. But let me push the point a little farther. Again, my goal is not to minimize judgment, but really to deal, I think, with the meaning of the text this morning and understand that salvation is about more than just keeping us out of hell and just judgment. Turn with me to John chapter 3. I want to show you a parallel text, different writer, and, and I want to just point out a couple pieces in this passage as John writes. Now, just stop here for a second. God loved the world, so He sends Him on a mission to die for the sins of the world. Why? You'll notice a couple underlined sentences in there that talks about the issue of condemnation. And condemnation starts when we're, frankly, when we're born. We're born separated from God. And it says the whole world is condemned except for those that have begun to embrace Jesus. See, the mission of Jesus, of God, is to send his son into the world and to start a renewal of a relationship with the Father and the Son. That is salvation, folks. It is not just keeping somebody out of hell. Let me go farther in this passage, starting with verse 19 here. This is the verdict. And now you're going to notice some imagery that's very parallel to our text this morning. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of the light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. And will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly that uh, what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Do you notice here again that John, a different writer, speaks of the imagery of light and darkness here as well? And Paul also uses that same imagery. Let me put up on the screen verse 4 again from chapter 5 for Thessalonians but you are not in darkness you catch that just like John brothers for that day to you surprise you like a thief for you are children of the light children of the day we are not of the night or of darkness so then let us not sleep as others do but let us keep awake And be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, are drunk at night. This imagery, light, and darkness. Just like the Apostle John. So Paul here is encouraging them. Reminding this church, this group, this small group of people saying this. You are not people of the dark. Now he does call them to be watchful, obviously in that text. But he's reminding them Jesus is coming and no one knows the hour, the time. He's coming like a thief in the night. But what are both Paul and John implying? That there's functionally there's two groups of people in this world. There's people of the light and there's people of the darkness. Those in the light are the ones who have put their faith and trust and embraced Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And for those in the darkness, that have not done that Jesus uh, paul and and John are saying this: they don't care about Jesus. they don't care about the truth. So people are living into darkness and they don't care about it. but he also uses some imagery, he uses that word drunkenness, and I don't think it's literally about it might be, but it's really farther and wider than that because when you talk about what does it mean to be spiritually intoxicated. Spiritually drunk, I think it's this. You're consuming the things of the world. Pleasure, power, fame. That's what people are drunk on today, spiritually speaking. And there will be a day, this text says, there will be a day that will come when they will be fully aware of the path that they chose but you notice that they're not expecting it. It's going to be a surprise, like a thief in the night. And you ask, why? Well, they're blinded. They stand condemned and they're blinded. Why? Because of their self-love, their selfishness, their independence. And yet a time for them will come to an end. Another observation and a thought that I had as I was studying this week, and it's a sad one, is that there's many people who grew up in the homes hearing about Jesus, hearing the Gospel, yet are living in the dark. There's people who heard about Jesus and they're still in the dark, and I think some of them even think like this. You know what? He's not coming back now. That's somewhere in the future. And I'm just going to ignore Jesus until I get older. And you go, dangerous. Very dangerous. Paul reminds them and he reminds us a day is coming and Jesus is going to come back. He's going to return. But let me drill down just in one phrase that I need to point out. Look at chapter 5 verse 2 here. It says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Well, people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Now that phrase, the day of the Lord, is, is used in Second Peter. It's used in Revelation 16. It's really an Old Testament expression. It's used actually 18 times and often in the books of Joel and Zephaniah. And here's where I got to confuse you, because as you study this text, you realize that people last with last week's the coming of the Lord, he's going to gather us up, and then you use the day of the Lord here. Many people view that day of the Lord differently. Some view it as the rapture, and some people view it as the the time when God is going to come back after the millennium, after a thousand years in the future. And as to which is true, I have a belief and and you're going to have to study it on your own. But I I think this is true. There will be a day when God is going to sit on the throne and everyone will be accountable for their actions, their independence, their own self-righteousness. And there will be a day where punishment will come And there's going to be ushering into an eternal existence without God. But whether it's the day of the Lord is a rapture or the climax in history where the heavens and the earth start over in one sense, that day will be characterized with an unmistakable presence of God. God is sitting on the throne. And people who lived in darkness will be fully aware of his power and his authority. But there's also another piece of really good news. You see, that's the challenge is we emphasize that from the negative side of, yeah, it's going to be a judgment for those people when you can usher them to hell. And it's, you know what, you don't want, it is terrible. But there's Paul's, that's not his point here. As Paul pushes his understanding, he's saying something different as well. But you are not going to be there. You are children of the light. See, that's what he's encouraging them with. And there will be a day coming. When we look at the day of the Lord, that is not, if we are in Christ, that is not a day to fear. Actually, that's a day of encouragement. Because on that day, if he comes tomorrow or this week or next week, for us that are in Christ, there will be an experience and a fuller understanding of some things that we, I think we just don't grasp. Think of his love. We will fully understand his love at that point. We will fully understand his grace at that point. We will fully understand his compassion at that point. And we will experience that on the day of the Lord. When we meet God, it's not, he's saying to these group of people, it's not about judgment. That's people of the dark. For we that are in Christ, it's about something glorious. We are children of the light. That's what he's doing in this passage, folks. He's encouraging them that you are children of the light. There's children of the darkness there, but you are of the light. And when you live in a world that's of turmoil, when, when it, and for them it was going to get even harder. Historically it was going to get worse and worse for them. More persecution, more struggles. And he reminds them, no, you're children of the light. Well, how does this apply to us? And I think here's the application. And if you're taking notes, point nine for this week, I said this, live every day in light of our new identity in Christ. See, that is what Paul is pressing into him. You're children of the light. You're not children of the darkness. Look at verse 8 though. But since we belong to the day, do you catch that? You guys, you belong to the day. Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath. That's a positive thing there. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. And whether we're awake, whether we sleep when He comes back, guess what? We are going to be with Him. Now, now the ESV, interesting, it says, but since, you, you catch that? But since, you belong to the day. You belong to light. Things are different for you now. There's a new way of life now for you. Maybe to explain it, let me give you an illustration. Uh, I I played some football in high school and I've been to college. And and, and I remember in early, like the first week in August, I had to head off to St. Cloud State University. And so the first day that we got there on campus and uh, all of the freshmen were ushered into the dorm and we found out where we were supposed to stay and, and we were supposed to eat, that was an important thing. And and so that first day was just kind of getting acclimated to the to the college. But as we walked around that day, summer school was still taking place a little bit, and as we walked around, there's lots of other students around, We were we were one of the students at St. Cloud State. But then the next day, we went down to Hollenbeck Hall. And I don't know if you know the St. Cloud campus, but Hollenbeck Hall is a place where the gym is. It's all the, all the sports stuff down there. And there was, that was, there was a big room there where we went and we were handed our football uniforms and our gear. And as we went to practice that day, we began to put on all of the stuff. You got the helmet, the shoulder pads, all the other pads with it, the pants, the shirt, whatever. But something happened. We started to put that on. And no longer were we just a student. You didn't realize that? We were a husky. Now, I wasn't as husky back then, (laughs) okay? (laughs) Um, But we were a husky. We were a football player now. We had a new identity on campus. But think of that in light of us. When salvation occurs, when we put our faith in Jesus, there is a new identity. We're not just a person. Matter of fact, we're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And we have a new identity. We are in Christ, we're in the light, we're in the daylight, we're not people of the night. So Paul is reminding them of a new identity that they have in the midst of struggles in the midst of the persecution the Roman government is going to be going after these people people don't like the Christians back then and yet Paul saying no you have a new identity you're not like them you are children of God let me show you another passage that fits here Five to six years later, more persecution was coming. And he writes to the church at Rome in chapter 5, and look what he says. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, there's that faith again, just like 1 Thessalonians 5, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You catch this new identity? Through Him we have also been obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. You're different now. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. You catch what Paul is doing here. It's going to get worse for them. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces what? Hope. Hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's look at this. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Do you notice how Paul, faith, hope, and love are so consistent with his theology? But the question comes back: Do you, if you are a child of God, do you believe that you have a new identity? Because if we are going to live in a world that's becoming more hostile to Jesus, we, there's a call on us to say, I am a child of God. I am a child who is living in the light. We're not of the darkness. We're a people of faith. God loves us. And folks, there is a hope that we can have no matter how bad things get. And it flows over into other areas when when discouragement comes into your life. Even on other issues, it's there is a hope in Jesus because you are a child of the King. And you kind of go, okay, but so what? Let, Let me point out one other piece. Look at verse 11. Because you have a new identity, therefore, 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 because you're one in the light. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. See, they're already doing it, but what is what he's saying is this. Do it more and more and more. Don't let up. See, the Holy Spirit is working in their lives, but He wants them to even go farther. You know, when things go bad, actually... Isn't the opposite the temptation? We isolate ourselves. We pull back from people. We we stop involving ourselves in the lives of the church. We we live in fear. We avoid the world. You kind of hunker down. And you kind of, okay, Jesus, just come on back. And you go, no. That's not what Paul wants us to do. For your notes, I said it this way. Because we have a new identity... We are to become spiritual influencers, and, and that word bring, bringing again, bringers. God wants us because we have a new identity. He's calling us to be used in other people's lives. And that's what He's exhorting them to do here. Guys, keep doing a jump into somebody else's life. Become an encourager. Become someone who is willing to come along another man or another woman and put your arm around them and say, hey, let's just begin to meet together. Let's just see where God takes us. I think of Rachel's story this morning. At the heart of it, it's, it's about encouraging, pushing one another on in their faith, in their life, so that there's more hope, more faith, more Love. You see, the question though comes back. If you have an identity in Christ, you're not supposed to just sit there and pull back and go, oh, thank you, Jesus. No, you get involved in the lives of people. I I, I think of this fall, even on that insert, you look and there's children. Children need to hear the gospel here. They need to learn the scriptures here to be helping in Awana and children's ministries and youth ministry and a part of those groups. Folks, God wants to use each of us to be encouragers in other people's lives because we are children of the hope and we know that a better day is coming and Jesus is going to come back again. So we get involved with people. But maybe the deeper question comes back for some of us, it's this. Do you, do you feel like you're a child of the king? I mean not not just intellectually know it. Is there a sense where you can sit still before God and you go, "I am a child of the king." And, and you know what the result when we do that, when we get it, we begin to worship God in spirit and in truth. And he begins to just change us more and more. And we press into Jesus and we respond by serving people, loving people, giving of our lives to others. Because it starts with us understanding and coming to grips with we are children of the light. We're not children of darkness. Do you believe it? Do you really believe it? Can you experience it beyond just the head knowledge? Let's stand and pray. Father, You want us to know You. And Lord, You're reminding us through this passage that we are children of the light. And the light is Your Son, Jesus. And Your love for us caused You to send Your Son to die for us because we stood condemned. And You've invited us to embrace You and to embrace Your Son And Lord, the result of that is that as you worked in us and as we put our faith in you, that you did something to us. You changed us. You moved us from children of the darkness to children of the light. And Lord, for that, I just want to thank you. I want to praise you. But Lord, help us be a people who appreciate that, who understand it, who come to grips with it, and in part would just turn around and walk with people and help others to understand that. So today, I I just want to thank you for this text that Paul was encouraging these people to have a new identity, to believe that God loves them and that they are his children. So we give you thanks. And we want to wait. Yes, we wait for your return. But we recognize that you don't want us to just sit back and and just kind of sit there. You want us to love people. So help us do that this week. These things we pray in your name. Amen. Have a great week. If you don't know somebody around you, uh, introduce yourself to them. But uh, have a fun day today.